Chapter 7 of Uganda's White Man of Work, a story of Alexander M. McKay. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marianne. Uganda's White Man of Work, a story of Alexander M. McKay, by Sophia Lyon Faz. Chapter 7 Two Faced Mutessa and the Mohammedans. King Mutesa had openly rejected both the religion of the white men and that of the Arabs, and declared himself again a worshipper of the heathen spirits. For him, however, it was as easy to change his religion as to change his clothes. Not more than two weeks after he had compelled his court to do reverence to the wizard, he said to his chiefs, Why are you not continuing to learn to read? You are all trying to gather riches for this world. You had better prepare for the world to come." Here are white men who have come far from Europe to teach you religion. Why do you not learn? He even went so far as to distribute many reading sheets among his chiefs and pages. As a result, some who, because of fear, had ceased going to the missionary's home, now renewed their visits, and others were made bold to begin to study for the first time. Yet during the months which followed the wizard's visit, the missionaries were very much neglected by Mutesa. He no longer sent them presents of bananas, goats, and chickens, and their supply of cowrie shells for buying food became exhausted. Most of their clothes were either badly worn or had been pawned for food. They needed also oil for their lamps, paper for printing, and many other things not to be had in Uganda. So in April 1880, Mr. McKay started on a journey to Uyui, several hundred miles south of the lake, where were other English missionaries who had lately come from England with fresh supplies. Some thirty days, Mr. McKay and his companions spent in frail, tiny barks made of rough-hewn boards sewn together with twigs, and another month was occupied in traveling overland to Uyue. During the time Mr. McKay spent merely going to Uyue, their nearest supply house, perhaps five hundred miles from Uganda, one could now make the trip from New York City to Shanghai, China, and return. This trip kept Mr. McKay away from the capital for nine months, Mr. Pearson being the only Protestant missionary left in Uganda. About three months after Mr. McKay had left the capital, the fickle Mutesa again changed his religion. One night he dreamed that he saw ten moons and an eleventh, which was both larger and brighter than any of the others. The big bright moon waxed more and more brilliant and grew larger and larger until the ten other moons came and bowed down before it. While Mutesa was wondering what the dream meant, he thought he saw two angels standing before him, and he was frightened by their angry looks. "'Why have you and your court ceased to pray the Mohammedan prayers?' one of the angels asked. Now, all Mohammedans are taught to pray five times a day. In order that every one may know just the time when the prayer should be said, a priest from the top of some high building calls loudly Arabic words which mean, "'God is great. I bear witness that there is no God but God.' I bear witness that Muhammad is the prophet of God. Come to prayers. Come to prayers. Come to salvation. There is no other God but God. Immediately, every good Mohammedan, no matter where he is or what his task, believes that his first duty is to wash his hands and kneel down to pray. So the angel said to Mutesa, If you wish to be prosperous and your land to grow, return at once to this old custom and call the people to prayer as the Quran commands. 
On telling the dream to his wives, Mutasa was easily persuaded to think he was like the large moon, and that soon ten kingdoms would come to him and beg him to rule over them. On meeting his chiefs at morning Babraza, the proud king repeated his dream to them also. Then and there he commanded them all to obey the order of the angels and to pray, La ilaha illa Allah, Muhammadanan Razal Allah, one of the creeds which Mohammedans are taught and which they repeat again and again. The Arabic words when translated means, There is no God but God, and Mohammed is the prophet of God. Mutesa's command needed merely to be given, and the royal palace resounded with the prayers of scores of men who were ready to follow any religion their king might choose. Mutesa announced that he himself was no longer a worshipper of the gods of Uganda or a follower of Isa, Jesus, but, from henceforth, his religion was that of Muhammad. In the church, within the royal enclosure, where only a short while before men had prayed to the Lord Jesus, now each day Mohammedan prayers were chanted. Every chief, wherever he might go, was accompanied by a boy carrying a mat and a kettle, so that when the call to prayer was heard, he might wash his hands and kneel on the mat in obedience to the Quran. Some days after the public announcement of his new religion, Mutesa declared that since he had determined to follow the dream, he had been cured of his long-standing sickness. For some time he held Baraza regularly in the grand style which had been habitual years before, but which was set aside after he began to suffer from his lingering disease. Soon, however, the malady proved as serious as before. During this period, when the Mohammedans enjoyed the royal favor, the Arabs gloried alike in their own power and in the seeming defeat of their enemies, the white men. On Mr. McKay's return from the southern end of the lake, they were ready to tell the king the most unthinkable stories of falsehoods about the missionary. These they hoped would further prejudice his mind against Mackay and cause Mutesa either to drive the white teacher from the country or to take his life. At Baraza one morning, when one Catholic priest and two Arabs were present, the crafty Mutesa, always eager to start exciting discussions at court, said, Mackay Malalu, Mackay is mad. Having waited for just such an opportunity, the Arabs now boldly presented their charges. They said that Mackay was a criminal of the worst sort, that he had fled from England because he had there murdered two men, that when he boarded the steamer bound for Africa, he carried two revolvers in his hands, with which he threatened to shoot the captain on the spot if he refused to take him to Zanzibar, that, from Zanzibar in turn, he was compelled to flee because of more murders he committed there, that in Unyan Yembi he had walked about, carrying two revolvers, hoping for an opportunity to kill the governor, that it was very dangerous to allow him to remain in Uganda, for he was insane and only tried to murder people. They further declared that Mackay, being very much afraid that the story of his crimes would reach Mutesa's ears, had, on that very morning, given the speaker a present and on his knees had besought him not to make public the facts about his wicked life. When the story of that morning's Baraza was told to Mr. Mackay, what were his thoughts? In his journal that night, these were some of the words he wrote. God is over all, and he is our God and our sole defense. In fever, when one's nerves are weak, many doubts arise in the mind, and through morbidly dwelling on the number of our bloodthirsty enemies, faith almost fails. Yet the fever subsides and courage rises with better health, and one cannot but feel a deep inward, peaceful consciousness that, 
Though we are absolutely shut off from every human help, yet we have protection more secure than any counsel can afford, even the omnipotent arm of Jehovah. For the terrible charges laid against me, some proposed in court that I should be put to death. Even the charge of carrying my revolver is false, for I almost invariably march unarmed, having only my umbrella. Mutesa, however, said that the best thing to do was to send me home, as being a raiser of much noise and row in court. He knows very well that this charge, too, is unfounded. One of the French missionaries complimented me on the quiet manner in which I talked with Mutesa, while Arabs and others spoke loudly and excitedly. We can now understand to the full the meaning of that blessing which we are promised, when men shall revile us, and persecute us, and say all manner of evil against us falsely for his sake. We are his, and it matters not what man can do to us. The Arabs long continued to slander the missionaries in this way whenever it was possible to do so. They took advantage of the occasions when the missionaries were not at court to make false charges against them before the king. One morning, when a goodly number of them were present at Baraza, they said, The English are taking advantage of Mutesa's illness. Since you are unable to go about to see what is going on in your kingdom, the English are building a castle of clay, which will become a fort, and they have many guns. When they finish building, they will fight. Mutesa answered, the English are at Zanzibar, and have not yet taken that place. Is it likely that they will begin fighting here when they have not yet eaten any part of the coast? Failing in their charge against the English, the Arabs next attacked the Frenchmen. Mapera has many guns, they said, and he has bought fifty slaves and is training them to fight. Then they will make war. Mutesa did not seem inclined to believe this charge either, and said that he knew that Mapera was not a fighting man. I accept your religion, he said, and do not want the religion of the Bazungu, white men. Leave off, then, abusing them. Pleased that he had professed to accept their faith, the Arabs began to flatter him because of his wisdom. The Bazungu, they said, do not know how to pray. They never wash their hands before eating. They keep dogs, which are unclean animals. Their skin is white because they eat swine's flesh. We eat only clean animals. We always wash before eating and before praying, and we pray regularly four and five times a day. Mutesa again praised the Mohammedan religion, and commended all his chiefs to go immediately and pray at the mosque which had been put up on the palace grounds. When they returned, Mutesa asked, Have not the Bazungu a book also from which they pray? Is there no one present who can repeat their prayers for me to hear? Mufta, being present, was asked to read, he read the prayer beginning, Our Father which art in heaven. There, cried the Arabs, what is that? Allah is not our Father, and whoever saw him in heaven. Did we not tell you that these people do not know how to pray? The king then declared that all should pray as the Arabs did, and that everyone who was found not doing so should be caught and killed. Later another discussion arose at court about the religions of Christ and Mohammed. Mr. O'Flaherty, who had taken Mr. Pearson's place in the mission, took the side of the Christians. "'In what does the wealth of Europe and Zanzibar consist?' asked Mutesa, of one of the Arabs present. The Arab mentioned houses, lands, cattle, slaves, ivory, merchandise, pearls, gold, and silver. "'In what does the wealth of Uganda consist?' asked Mr. O'Flaherty of the king. "'Our riches,' said Mutesa, "'lie in ivory and women and cattle and slaves and houses.' 
Mr. Flaherty replied, Ivory will by and by be all gone. Your women die every day of the plague. Your cattle get eaten up. Your slaves die. And your houses, why, I could set them all on fire with one match. What will you have then? All these things perish. I, therefore, advise you to seek the true riches which are above, and which cannot pass away. Seek first to know God and to love him with all your heart, and then you will have wealth which will last always. I want to have nothing to do with Jesus Christ, Mutesa replied. I want goods and women. The religion of Jesus Christ will not give these to me, so I will not have it. The white men told me that God would protect those who read the book. Smithsey, Lieutenant Smith, was a man who read the book of Jesus Christ, and he was killed. Does not Jesus Christ always abuse people? Does he not try to make the Jews accept his religion? But they would not have it, and killed him and scattered his followers. I do not want the Bazungu to come here with empty words. I want them to work and to bring me goods like the Arabs. If they will not make me ships and cannon, I do not want them. They tell me about God. Who ever saw God? Ask the Bazungu who ever saw God. In answer, Mr. O'Flaherty asked Mutesa, Did you ever see pain? Yet you have certainly felt it and know what it is. Did you ever see the wind? Yet you know it is here or there. So the conversation continued. Mutesa's heart was bad and the missionaries were able to do little. A few days later, the Arabs invented another very cunning charge against the English missionaries. Several of them, having called on the white men, had seen and heard their new music box. So at court they told the king that Queen Victoria had sent him a fine music box, but that the missionaries were keeping it for themselves. They further said that there were devils inside the box, and when Mr. O'Flaherty whistled, the devils began to play, and when Mr. O'Flaherty said stop, they were quiet. They also said that the queen had sent Mutesa a thousand rifles, which they were also keeping for their own use. A hundred bales of cloth and many other things the Arabs said the missionaries were withholding from Mutesa. Of course, it was soon shown how false were all these charges. After a long discussion about Jesus Christ, the Arabs broke out with a new attack. The Bazungu are idolaters. They worship pictures. Mutesa ordered a book brought, which had been given him by the French Catholic priests. It contained a picture of God, the Father, as an old man with a long beard. The Arabs were delighted to have their charge seemingly prove true. But the missionary was ready with a reply. That is not really a picture of God, he said. That picture has been made to help children to understand that God is our Father. But you know that the Frenchmen and we do not agree on such things. We have the same faith in important matters, but pictures we don't believe in as they do. The evil stories invented by the Arabs were sometimes so bad that they sounded ridiculous. Mr. Mackay seemed to be more fiercely slandered than any of the rest. The Arabs even made up this very queer fable, which they tried to use to Mr. Mackay's harm. A certain king, they said, had a favorite cat, which was reported to have one day eaten all the eggs. The king, however, said, It is my cat. Let it alone. It must eat. Next day it was reported to have eaten the hens. Let it alone, said the king. It is my favorite cat. It must eat. After this it ate the goats, and then all the cows, but still the king would not let the cat be touched. Next it ate up all the people, and the king's wives, and then his children, and finally it ate up the king himself. 
Only one son of the king escaped by hiding himself. Meantime the cat grew and swelled to a great size from having devoured so many things. But at length the one prince who escaped succeeded in killing the cat. When he cut it open, he found all the eggs and the fowls and the goats and the cows and the people and the wives and the king's sons. But in the act of cutting the cat up, the prince accidentally wounded in the thigh one of his brother princes inside the cat. This fellow got out and said, What did you wound me for? Do you not see, said the other, that I have been doing you a good service in letting you out? But he refused to be at peace and tried to kill the prince who had let him out. The wonderful cat is the English, said the Arabs, and the wounded prince who wished to kill his deliverer is Mackay. You, Mutesa, have conferred every benefit on him, but he means only to return your evil for good. Could enmity and falsehood go further, wrote Mackay in his journal. But none of these things move me. The Lord has preserved me many a time from the hatred of these revilers and wicked men, who, for no reason at all, delight so to speak all manner of evil against me falsely. It was this very morning that Pearson and I read together at prayers the fifty-first chapter of Isaiah. I, even I, am he that comforteth you. Who art thou, that thou shouldst be afraid of man that shall die, and of the son of man which shall be made as grass, and forgettest the Lord thy Maker, that hath stretched forth the heavens, and laid the foundations of the earth, and hast feared continually every day, because of the fury of the oppressor, as if he were ready to destroy? And where is the fury of the oppressor? The captive exile hasteneth that he may be loosed, and that he should not die in the pit, nor that his bread should fail. But I am the Lord thy God, that divided the sea, whose waves roared. The Lord of hosts is his name, and I have put my words in thy mouth, and I have covered thee in the shadow of mine hand. With such a promise, and such a refuge, and such a God, who shall be afraid? Lord God, give us more faith in thee. As for these Mohammedans and all others who speak so falsely of us, we would have no bitter feelings in our hearts against them. Lord, have mercy on them, and lead them to know thee, and then they will love thee and love thy servants. Such a one, whose desire was best expressed in a prayer for his enemies, was a true Christian, for he was like his master. End of chapter 7